you know, he gets in the car and we were driving back. He's like, Hey man, how do you eat an elephant? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the last <laughs> thing I want to talk about right now. I just punched out four times. Leave me alone, dad. He's like, no, answer the question. I was like, I don't have no idea. And three, two, one. Is that Chad Chop? Coach Ballgame, good morning. Coach Chop, um, what did you have for breakfast? Great question. Uh, I had uh, some lukewarm coffee so far. Yeah, out of my Yeti here. That's that's it. And there are strawberries on the table. I just haven't uh, haven't dabbled yet. Fresh. You got to look at them. You got to look at them for a good yeah. hour, and then yeah, yeah. then you're good. What'd um, you have for breakfast? Thanks for asking. Mm. I had a banana and I had a sausage, egg, and cheddar biscuit. Wow. And I I quit drinking coffee about a month ago. How's that going? Well, uh, pretty good. Way better than I thought because I, since the age of 18, had been drinking a big cup of coffee yeah. every morning. And then when my first daughter was born, I started drinking a big cup of coffee in the morning and a grande kind of medium pike at night. Because uh, I remember I, I bought up. that for you. Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> and, and it was great for about 20 years. And then uh, I started getting headaches even when I drink it. So, you know, you get dependent on the caffeine, you're drinking that coffee and you got to have more. And it got to the point where I'd start sipping coffee and getting headaches. So I said, I got to do something about this. I heard about this matcha green tea latte with yeah. two pumps of chai. Okay. And I, I went that route and I haven't had a headache in a month. So wow. I thought the weaning off the coffee would be awful. And it really wasn't. It, it, green it, tea. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like why I stopped drinking alcohol. It was just starting to make me feel terrible. And I think... Oh, I've been doing this for decades, but I'm actually allergic to it. I'm allergic to alcohol. I'm allergic to caffeine or coffee. And so I'm um, cleaning it up here in my gray whisker age. It's the wisdom. I love that. That's that's good for you. That's impressive. I uh, I had a low-grade migraine yesterday, and uh, and my wife said, Did you, have, you had any coffee? It was like 3.30 in the afternoon. I was like, I haven't had coffee yet. So I, I made a panic cup of coffee. Yeah. And, uh, sure enough. I, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I need to try the green tea. I think, man, good to see you. It's been a while. We, we uh, we've thrown down two episodes of the talking shop, but you had a, a busy October. Uh, can you fill in the 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 listener on, uh, yeah. on what were you doing in October? It was man. pretty wild. It was literally wild card, wild card game, and uh, you were you were there for that. I was there. Game. Thanks, we, uh, thanks we playing, to you. We were playing the Cardinals, so I had to bring in a big Cubs fan. Figured uh, that would that would bring us some good mojo. And uh, man, what a game! Huh? That was unbelievable. Uh, and then battle the Giants, uh, historic rival, and uh, go to Game Five in San Francisco and gritted out a win, which was unbelievable. Probably one of the highlights. Uh, of, of my uh, career uh, with, with major league clubs and uh, kind of bittersweet, right? Because that's a lot of, a lot of close friends on the other side. So that was, that was a really, really tough series just for me emotionally um, really caring about the group on the other side, uh, really close to some of those guys. And then obviously close to our group, but uh, 
gritted that out and then played a really hot Atlanta Braves team. And man, they earned it. What a great club. And they're, uh, they're playing together and they've got emotion and uh, it's, it's pretty impressive to see what they're doing and uh, really pulling for them, hopefully to, to finish this thing off. But uh, very, very impressed with the Braves organization and just there, you could just see they're, they're hungry, right? They lost to us, uh, to the Dodgers last year and uh, the level of preparation. And, and like I said, the emotion and, Remember, that was a team at the, at the All-Star break. Everyone thought they were going to fold the tent because Acuna got hurt and uh, Ozuna, you know, is, uh, is dealing with some, some stuff off the field. And credit to the GM, man. He doubled down and, uh, and is being rewarded right now. It's just a cool story. So really, really proud of the Braves and really proud There's, of our Dodger club. Oh, man, a lot to unpack there. Uh, I'll, we'll start with the wild card game, which uh, you and your wife so kindly invited me and Mrs. Ballgame to come. And um, uh, we, we met at your house and you were already at the field uh, hitting fungos to Albert Pujols and That's the true. boys in the infield. Um, but it, uh, let's start with who was in the van on the way to the Dodger game. Your dad goes by the Chip. name what? Chip Chop. It's Chip Chop, man. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as he let me know that his name is Chip Chop, mm. I... I had to give him a baseball card right away. And yeah. um, uh, do you give remember Don Baylor? the Don Baylor was the first yes. one. I always have a pack of baseball cards in my pocket. Your two uh, oldest sons were in the back seat with me. Um, I think I threw some Todd Benzingers their way. Sure. Uh, yeah. But your dad, uh, Chip Chop, <laughs> so he good. got a Don Baylor. And, uh, and he looked at that thing for a good five, six minutes, really he studied it up and down yeah. and um and we had the time of our lives we got to sit in the family section and here's what i noticed all those families of those dodger players dodger mm -hmm. coaches manager it's so anxious you're just right. so worried you're so nervous because you look and 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 you know the 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 mental health of their uh, uh other half you know depends yeah. on this game and this foul ball being fair or foul and this yes. pitch being called a strike or a ball and um you know you're you're right behind the dugout there and you've got you've got high leverage situations going on left and right but in that wild card game uh, were there any moments where you were like we've got this the Dodgers have this, or was it just pins and needles the whole time? Everything you described is right. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's the ball down the line. You know, if it's, if it hits the chalk, what that means potentially to, uh, to a number of folks in the stands, in the dugout, the hours that have been put in from spring training all the way through, uh, I was tracking like our days together, um, and, uh, you know, pitches thrown, and uh, at bats of the season. So I had all that on a, on a, I make our hitters meetings, uh, you know, PowerPoint every day. And I was tracking like everything that we had done to that point. And, uh, and, and the motto was to fight for one more day together. And uh, oh my gosh, there was no point in that game until Chris Taylor hit that home run that we felt good. You know, it was, it was a battle. Um, I guess when JT hit that home run, it, it kind of relieved a little bit of pressure because I tied the game. Um, but holy smokes, that was, I was tense, man. That was, you could cut, cut that tension with a knife. Y'all could feel it in the stands. We were feeling it in the clubhouse for sure. 
Well, and you know, the, the fan base, it, 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 it loves you when you're hot and boy, it's, mm. it's cruel when you're not. And, and the families of these players, they feel that more than the players, more than the coaches and managers. So being around that and, and, and seeing it go down the way it did. Wow. Uh, so cool for a guy, um, uh, CT three who, mm. um, had been struggling. I talked to Jose Vizcaino name drop salute. Uh, yes. he, he works with the hitters for the Dodgers and he's like, yeah, Chris was struggling. You know, he had, it, it, he'd been struggling in the batting cage pregame even. And, you know, I mean, yeah. speak to that, speak to a guy coming in, um, cold and, and finding his moment there. I mean, that, that speaks to his character. I would imagine. Chris Taylor is an absolute gamer. I mean, this guy is as clutch as it comes. And, uh, and that's a moment there where you just, you need a little clutch in your life, you know, and he, he wasn't feeling great. He wasn't, he wasn't hot. I mean, holy smokes. He was searching literally before he came to the plate, he was searching and uh, he's just clutch, man. He, he felt like he was going to get a slider and he sat on slider and, uh, and he got it and he didn't miss it. And I mean, talk about just a workman workman's attitude. I mean, he puts in his work, he's prepared, he's in the video room studying. Um, he's Chris Taylor is unbelievable. And uh, it couldn't have happened to a better guy and a more respected guy in the clubhouse. Uh, it was pretty special. And uh, he's not a man of many words. So one of the funnier things was him coming in after doing all of his interviews and uh, everyone's yelling like speech, speech before we start spraying champagne. And because he is a man of such few words, he, he, he was going to go into this like emphatic speech, but we cut him off as soon as he goes, all right, boys, we're not done. And we just like, yeah, we just went nuts with the champagne. It was incredible. But uh, CT couldn't happen to a better guy. CT three. Yeah. And it really snowballed from there. And like baseball yeah. is confidence. And as soon as he hit that bomb, he's feeling better about himself. Yeah. And then he has an unbelievable run through the playoffs. Uh, before we move to the Giants, uh, you sent me a video of you uh, hitting fungos uh, before the game to uh, the infielders. Um, just walk a guy that wants to have that job through through that process. Any good fungo stories you have from this season? Uh, so, somebody that's like, wow, that, that's the best infielder I've ever seen or uh, or or uh, yeah, anything like that. If you're asking me the best infielder I've ever seen, uh, that's Brandon Crawford, and that's easy. Uh, Brandon Crawford, I once saw Brandon Crawford. I have the video. I'll have to get it to Tommy and uh, our producer, Tommy Gold, and uh, uh, show you guys this video. But he would do these tricks at the end of his work. He would take ground balls every day, like no matter what, faithfully. If he didn't take batting practice, he would still get out there and get ground balls. Um, speaking to kind of what, what, what it takes to be great, right, is, is that preparation. But at the end of every, you know, every session, he would do something, some kind of cool trick. And I remember we were in, we were in Milwaukee, I think it was 2017. And I hit a ground ball up the middle. And instead of him fielding it and flipping it to second, he just soccer style redirected it with his foot right to the second baseman's chest. Insane. And you're just like, you know, he, I, I, I would call him Neo from the Matrix. I feel like he was playing at a different speed. And we talked to our youth and even like, you know, in college and, and in the professional uh, realm of trying to slow the game down. I mean, this dude's playing at a different speed. Um, 
So yeah, Brandon Crawford's the best infield I've ever seen. I also saw another thing he did once in spring training where the field was wet. It was in a game and he went to backhand a baseball. And as he fielded it, he, he braced himself with his throwing hand on the ground and he had mud on his hand. So he fielded the ball and instead of going right to the glove with his, with his hand, which had mud on it, he flipped the ball in, in the air, wiped the mud off his hand, off his pants. So he wipes it, grabs the ball, throw the, throws the guy out at first. And Matt Duffy was playing third. And he came in like a kid on Christmas. He's like, did you guys see what he did? He wiped the ball. And we all saw it, Matt, Matthew. We all saw it. And it was, I mean, unbelievable. Brandon Crawford, hands down. Should win BC. the gold glove this year. He should win the uh, he's so good year. so good i mean yeah. he had such a great year at the plate too i feel yeah. like these guys like trey turner and uh and and crawford and javi baez and altuve they have to be great soccer players too it just yeah. look they just look like they can move with their feet they can kick a ball they can shoot a basketball yes so uh, you just see you can tell when somebody's only played baseball and when you're, yeah. you're dealing with a, a Trey Turner who can slide like nobody else. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh, and Cody Bellinger dive. too. Cody yeah. Bellinger played a lot of soccer growing up. Yeah. I asked him, I said, Cody, what did you do as a kid? Cause he's just a, you know, unbelievable athlete. And he's like, I played a lot of soccer. So good call. Athlete, athlete, yeah. athlete, yeah. athlete, athlete. Play sports kids play multiple sports. Exactly. Right. Um, well, then we get coffee. to the, don't drink coffee, drink hot tea, <laughs> play a lot of sports, and just stare at strawberries in the morning. Stare at them. Um, yes. <laughs> I, 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 we get to the Giants series, and yes, yummy strawberries. Mm. Um, I mean, just as it should be, a hard-fought battle. And I think the only thing missing from that series was everybody wanted it to go seven instead of having to end at five. But you worked with the Giants, you worked with the Dodgers, and here you are uh, with both fan bases and, 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 and families uh, of both teams that you know well. Um, yeah. Had to have been hard for you, huh? It was – It was. I don't think there was anything more difficult uh, for me that I, that I experienced in my eight years uh, at that level. It was, it was gut-wrenching because I'm so used to rooting for – for those guys, you know, when Brandon comes to the plate, Craw, and now here I am like torn because I still want him to have success. Uh, but obviously our, you know, our team's success or moving on in the playoffs uh, is, you know, contingent upon, you know, him not having success. Um, Brandon Belt getting hurt uh, made it a little bit easier for me, although it was terrible. I was super bummed out. I, I texted Brandon when he was going in to get his thumb checked out. It was like, I, I hope you're okay. And he texts me right away. He's like, I'm not, you know, and it was like, it hurt, you know, cause I wanted him to be healthy, but then having to see him play would have been tough. Cause I want him to do well. You know, it's just really tough. You, uh, I've really got really, really close with the Brandons. They're my two favorite Brandons uh, on the earth. And uh, so that, that was tough, man. It was tough. I, I don't wish it on anyone. And uh, it was hard. It was hard because I love the staff. I love, uh, you know, Brad Grimm's and James and like all those guys, you know, uh, Abe Silvestri, the travel uh, secretary, I told you, you and him are very similar. And uh, I wanted them to, I, I wish that we all could, I wish that was the world series, you know? Uh, yeah, it was tough. It was. And, and then was you, and then in the back of your mind, you know, well, I mean, you are retiring from your job with yeah. the Dodgers and you're moving on to 
uh, a new job. What's your new job, man? Uh, the listener there in, in uh, uh, Mississippi wants to know. Yeah, I am the new head coach at Push Ridge Christian Academy. So I am a high school coach. Yeah, golf clap for that. And uh, head coach salute. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited and uh, to get an opportunity to, uh, to spread my knowledge and joy for the game and life with uh with high school kids it's a really pivotal pivotal moment in 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 life you know when you're that age and you're trying to figure out how to be you know a young man and, and all the pressure of that and uh in baseball so i i'm i feel very blessed and fortunate to get that opportunity i think this is a um a really fun podcast for me to do because i get a lot of the um elementary school and and a little bit of middle school with my life and you get the high school. Um, so we'll be able to kind of, uh, kind of play ping pong back and forth, uh, you know, yeah. getting inside the mind of a, a coach of high school versus youth baseball. We're both dads of multiple kids and there's so much that goes into, into that. Uh, speaking of, speaking of dad, uh, Halloween costume, what were you? Great question. I was, uh, God, I don't, I'm not sure I dressed up this year. So, oh. uh, yeah, Andy, I mean, I was it kind of looks like you kind of looks like you forgot. I was Tommy Lasorda. I was Tommy Lasorda at our, uh, we had like a work party at our mortgage office down here. So I was Tommy Lasorda. I had the ring on the pillow in the, uh, you know, fully dialed in with my Dodgers gear. Uh, so I was Tom Lasorda, but on, on Halloween, we actually had a golf cart mishap where my golf cart died and it turned into my oldest, Michael doing like a power sled which was pushing the golf cart back to the house oh, it was boy. great builds character yeah it was great builds character actually a gentleman helped us uh with his golf cart he pushed our cart for most of the way so we had like a good samaritan it was turned out to be okay you know and we all still had candy at the end of the night here's what i've realized about anything creative is it's it's 90 percent problem solving things are gonna yeah. come up and you gotta be able to jump over the pond and and save the frog um, and, and, and try not to, uh, get too negative about the whole deal, but yeah, being able to you problem a frog. solve, I like those stay references. positive. And I yeah, that, that was top of mind is, uh, my, <laughs> my seven-year-old daughter was princess, uh, and I was the frog princess and the yeah. frog. Perfect. And I rocked that frog suit to all 16 sandlots this week, uh, two PE classes, 14 baseball sandlots. And it was Halloween week at my Sandlots. And boy, you're getting a lot of Captain Americas, a lot of Mandalorians, a lot of uh, Princess Ariels, uh, yeah. because my Sandlots are, are boys, girls. Uh, and then I was the frog. And, you know, I was just exploring the space. I was showing these kids, you know, I was getting inside the mind of a frog. I, I, I let you them were. know I, I, I did some frog watching uh, over the weekend. I, I <laughs> do your research. I wanted to just kind of kind of study, study the frog, yeah. you know, when, when they see a fly or when they see a mm -hmm. bug, are they, are they going to be subtle about it? Are the, what, what are they going to do to reel that thing in? They're obviously not going to, no, you can't, uh, yeah, you can. nope, they're not even going to go ribbit. They're just going to act like they're asleep. Didn't and then they see, see that fly. And when the fly gets comfortable, bang, go get it. Yeah. I think we have a guest here. Nick is in the waiting room. So let's, uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce uh, Nick Hunley. Uh, this, is our, this is our first guest on Talk and Shop. And 
Nick uh, had an amazing 12-year career, but he uh, he spent his college days at the University of Arizona. So being out here in the Tucson area, uh, that's a big deal. He's a Wildcat. Played there for three years, and then he had 12 years at the major league level. And uh, Nick is just an unbelievable dude. He's uh, very well-respected throughout major league baseball. Um, just a quality human, and uh, we're really excited to have him. I'll throw the first question at you. Nice to meet you, Nick. Uh, it's been fun, uh, you know, researching you a little bit and getting to know you. Uh, born in Corvallis, Oregon, just about a year after me. That makes you one year younger than me, if my math is correct. Um, I, I want to start out with uh, you as a uh, as a dad because i'm a dad to two daughters and you uh, are also a, a daddy daughter dude um did you rock some halloween uh, this uh this fine halloween with your daughter and if so what'd you wear yeah <laughs> um yeah good to see you guys thanks for let me jump on with you um yeah i have two daughters Allie's eight and Haley's five and uh man it's the best um, some serious chaos every now and then that I'm not prepared for, but, uh, we roll with the punches for sure. Um, so Halloween, um, Allie was Mal from Descendants, Haley was Ariel. And then I went as a prince first half of the night and a penguin the second half of the night because they chose my costumes and, you know, flipped a coin to see who, who was first. And, and I got to try to keep <laughs> keep them happy, you know. A so, wardrobe change. Ward, yeah, mid game mid game adjustment, you know. Amazing. That's, That's strong. That is That's very incredible. strong. Well, I I know having two daughters myself, I've learned, and uh, I, I think Coach Shashesky, Mike Shashesky, said this once, and it rang very true. When you're when you're just surrounded by women in your house, you learn to listen. You have to learn to just sit quietly and listen. And that, that is something that it can be hard for me. I, I, I want to maybe be in control, uh, but uh, let's just go there. Uh, what is your daddy-daughter advice to me, Nick Hunley, as I try to navigate my way through this having an almost eight-year-old and almost four-year-old girl? Yeah, um, one, I'm in the same boat with you because... <laughs> Be like I have a lot of wisdom to impart on them that they sometimes don't want to hear <laughs> and it kind of goes hand in hand with my wife sometimes too like sometimes she doesn't want to hear my genius answers to problems that I've concocted you know so um that's a great that's great advice um a couple of the the best uh, I played with a guy named Chris Burke a legend from uh from Tennessee big home run for the Astros in the in the World Series and uh, I think he's doing ESPN games now. And he was an awesome, awesome guy to play with when I was young. And he has four kids now, but maybe five now. But like, give me the best parenting advice you had. Because um, we were thinking about having kids. And he's like, okay, when they're little, you need to know exactly what their daily routine is from start to finish. You need to be able to take care of your own child the entire day so your wife can leave because you're going to leave and you're going to go play and you're going to go out and there are going to be times when your friend wants to hit some golf balls with you and you're going to leave. And if your wife doesn't have the freedom because you can't handle the entire day's process of like wake up, changing diapers, take care of the, the whole routine, 
like she's not going to have that freedom to leave and there's going to be some resentment in that. So to be able to like know my wife can go for a three day weekend or whatever, you know, if she wants to or not, like that was huge. Um, and then got some good advice from my, my college baseball coach, Andy Lopez at Arizona. Um, another, another legend. He, uh, mm-hmm. he has two daughters and he's like, you need to date your daughters. You need to take them on dates. You need to show them how they're supposed to be treated and date them. So um, I try to take my daughters on as many dates as I can. We're going up to me and my, my oldest are going up to a dude. Perfect um live show here uh on friday in boise idaho so we'll do a little wow. little three-day trip and uh go date her you know she loves watching dude perfect videos like she's like i would love to go to a live show all right what's the closest one to, to san diego we're at is, is boise <laughs> not super conducive but hey you know like let's let's go so i i, I want to date them so they know when when a guy tries to date them this is exactly how she's supposed to be treated so good, man. We'll have a separate call where I'll just uh, let you give me father advice for days because uh, I, I've written those two down already. And, and you're right. Dating them is when I see them smile the most. They love uh, they love movies. They love going out to eat. They love yogurt land. So if I can give them all three in a day, they just, you know, they, they, they love it so much. So um, I I know that makes them very happy. And I know not being present makes my wife unhappy. So uh, those are two things that I can really relate to. And I, I love to play golf with my boys. And I love to, I love to not feel guilty going to work, right? I, w- I want to be able to go to work and feel like I earned it. So um, strong advice. Well done. Chad Chop, back to you. Yeah, I got a question for you here, Nick. Good morning. Uh, what is your favorite thing about baseball? What is your favorite thing about baseball? My favorite thing about baseball was definitely, well, it kind of went in phases, right? When you're younger, like round table pizza after the game. Mm-hmm. Um, or my dad was uh, was a college football coach for a long time. We can get into that, that part later as well if you guys want to. But um if he was in town, we would always go to McDonald's for hotcakes and sausage before a game. Like, I just remember that we would do that. And then when I was in college, if he was in town, we'd go to Denny's before a game. Um, so that would be my favorite part when I was younger. Um, as I got older into uh, college and the minor leagues, like being around the guys, like yeah. being with your boys, like nothing in your pocket, eating, you know, Velveeta shells and cheese every night and <laughs> Sonic um to try to keep it going and just grinding with the boys in the minor leagues in, in Tucson and college and Clinton Iowa and Fort Wayne um those are some of my best friends that I talk to regularly um because you're in the grind together and then in the big leagues my favorite thing about playing was testing my skills against the best players in the world every single day um what a challenge to say like hey I'm gonna try to go get some hits off Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen and Madison Bumgarner and I'm going to test my skills. And if they're good enough tonight, awesome. If they're not, let's go to work and try to figure it out tomorrow. Because guess what? Like, Steven Strasburg's coming tomorrow. So yeah. let's, let's find out if we can get some hits off, off of him, too. So that was – or figure out a way to get Mike Trout out four times tomorrow. Like, good luck with that. So that was the best part about being in the big leagues. That's great. Uh, and I can speak to, to remembering when I look back on my youth and is, is exactly the same. Like, it was the time I spent with my dad, right? It was – it was, my dad was unconditionally loved me. So win or lose, we were going to Dairy Queen after the game. And uh, 
I remember in college, he would come to San Diego State and watch me play. And then we'd go to Chili's right down the street. And it was the best, you know, it, it was great. So for our parents listening today, um, that's what we're your kids are going to remember. They're not going to remember you, you know, firing up on them for chasing an O2 curveball on the way home and telling them they got to be better. And, and, you know, that's not it. You know, you got to love on them uh, when they're young. And then someday if they're facing, you know, the Madison Bumgarner of that time, then yeah, sure. They, they might want to lay off the curveball, but that's great. I'm going to ask you one more. Then I'm going to pass it off to coach Ballgame. Who had the greatest impact on you as a player and as a man? Uh, easily my dad. Um, very thankful. Um, my dad lives like a mile away from me now. My parents are right there. We're so, so fortunate to have great parents. Um, but I'll tell you, I've got a couple stories from my dad. Yes. We, got time. Um, we got time. I remember like this was yesterday. So we're playing, I might've been 11 or 12, a 10, right around there. We're playing this team called the Thornton Thunder. And these, these boys were huge. And, you know, we're in like, you know, pony league ball. And then I've played like, I think my first year of travel ball was when I was 12. So we had a pretty good little travel ball team. And my first at bat, this guy was throwing really hard and I got smoked right in the middle of the back. And, you know, I don't want to say I cry. I, I didn't cry. I probably did. But, you know, go down first. Then my second bat, I was like, this same dude's pitching. I'm like, I do not want to get in the box. Like, I don't even want to be here. So I remember, like, getting in the back corner of the box and just taking. And my dad was at the game. And my dad would just stand down the line. Like, he didn't want to be around. He just wanted to watch the game and hang yeah. out. And uh, so I remember I didn't have a good, you know, didn't have a good game. And um crying a little bit afterwards and my dad didn't say a word during the game to me and after the game he's like hey like I kind of noticed your second about you were standing farther away from the plate than you normally do what's going on and I kind of like broke down I was like hey I was scared and he's like okay cool thanks for you know thanks for bringing it to me and like didn't make me feel bad didn't yell at me during the game like get in there get in the box yeah. get closer yeah. like, no none of that just subtly he's like hey what happened tell me tell me what's going on and it was like, dude, freedom in that, you know, I had freedom to come to my dad when I was struggling or when it wasn't going good. And I remember in double A, I was playing, I was hitting like, this is May and I'm playing every day. So I was hitting like a buck 50, like it was not. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can play at this level. Like I skipped, I kind of played, kind of skipped high, I played a month in high A the year before, went to double A. I was like, man, I'm getting dominated. These guys are good. Mm -hmm. And I go, my dad was we we're playing in Corpus Christi. I, I mean, another, there was like a couple of things that are like etched in my mind with my dad and baseball that I'll always remember. And it'll be great. And I'll like tell these stories at his funeral in 30 years, hopefully, you know? So yeah. Um, I go like 0 for 5, I punch out a couple of times if he's there. I, I want to play good in front of him, you know, like everybody, every son does. And of course, you know, he gets in the car and we were driving back. He's like, Hey man, how do you eat an elephant? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the last <laughs> thing I want to talk about right now. I just punched out four times. Leave me alone, dad. He's like, no, answer the question. I was like, I don't have no idea what, you know, like probably a little too attitude for a 21 year old. Sure. Um, and uh, he's like one bite at a time. Like you're going to try, you're going up to like hit 300 every at bat. Like you're hitting 150, whatever. You got an elephant, you got a mountain to climb in front of you. Like, how are you going to climb that mountain? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that riddle, dad. I'm not in a good mood. It's like one by the time. So my mindset changed to like, yeah. let's not go like all in to try to like grab these results. Like we have things in front of us. And I like, 
ended up having one of the best years of my career and hitting the most homers I ever did in, in a, in a season. And it was just because there's like little subtle things like that, that my dad would go like, not, not after the game, like you struck out four times, you're useless to me. Like, what's wrong with you? You're making me look bad. Like I'm your dad. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm living my life through you. Like your, how you play impacts my identity. No, like he was always there for me. So that, that part was great. Um, a couple of my favorite memories. I actually, when I was with you in, in San Fran, um, uh, the good thing about being a backup to Buster Posey is you play every day game pretty much. So he yeah. would play the, the four, five, six night games, yep. play the day games, which was great for hitting in San Francisco because it's way easier to hit during the day. That's but true. also you play like the holidays, right? So you play Mother's Day and Father's Day. So yes. one year I hit a home run on Mother's Day and Father's Day and, both, and my parents were in the stands for both of those. So those are some cool memories uh, uh, about my dad. You, Man, you're uh, so good. Yeah, you're uh, just, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. And I'll kick it back over to your coach ball game. But your, your preparation, uh, Nick, um, I've never seen anyone prepare more than you. Uh, you. You were always prepared, grinded. You and I in the cage would grind together. And uh, ton, you have a ton of pop. But what I want to touch on is what you said about your dad. Um, one thing as a coach that I try to do with our kids when they make a mistake, I don't address it in the moment. But when I get an opportunity, I will ask them, just what their process was, right? Uh, how was their heart rate? Uh, you know, what were they thinking in that moment? And then we just try to touch on the process. The mistake is what it is. It's an opportunity to get better, but I love how your dad addressed it and it wasn't in the moment and it was, there's no fear or uh, anything like that. It's just like, okay, well, how can we tweak maybe, you know, your heart rate or your process or, you know, different things like that. And it's, it's great and it's, it's unconditional uh, as far as love and, and as a coach and a dad, we're just there to help and love. I love that. Your dad's awesome. You're awesome. Coach Ballgame. Well, yeah. And uh, this is just too good. This is what the podcast is all about is, is becoming a better sports parent and better youth sports coach. And uh, it's crazy that our, my dad, same as yours, was very disconnected to the win or the loss or the performance and so much more connected to um, the joy. And, and I, stormed into the dugout uh, as a 12 year old one time after uh, striking out like for the third time in a row and you know I was just so so filled with emotion and he just he just gives me a hug you know and he doesn't even say anything and then he goes back to his lawn chair behind the left field fence and uh, everything just stayed right here it was if it was a home run oh not geez nice job uh, if it was a five strikeouts get them tomorrow you know and I had my best friend who ended up going to University of North Carolina starting third baseman and I remember in high school he came up to me in the on deck circle and he had a dad that was uh, was was just aggressive and and uh and loud and he said I've never been clutch why are you clutch James and uh I didn't know how to answer that in the moment, but, you know, 20 years later, now I know I wasn't afraid of that moment, you know, because I knew, I knew that cherry pie was waiting for me with my dad uh, at the, at the table afterwards. And it was going to be a learning experience. And uh, maybe you can answer this, Nick, why do parents and especially the ones that maybe haven't been there, done that, maybe they're a newcomer, including myself as a new coach, 
why do we start out that way? Why, why is it so loud and, um, and, and anxious in those high leverage moments? And, you know, maybe how did your dad jump into the, into the good ship of coaching and, 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 and find a way to get you to thrive? Yeah, those, those are great questions. And my dad was a high level college football coach. He's a defensive coordinator at, at major universities for, for 40 years. So he'd been won Rose Bowls and, and Pac-12 championships and has those rings and uh, coached a lot of good players. So I was fortunate that way to have his, you know, guidance. Um, so I'm coaching our eight, my eight-year-old softball team this fall and my five-year-old soccer team. And it's been awesome. And it's been a great like learning experience for me too, um, to get back there with the girls and run around and, and hang out. But I think the biggest thing that he did and that I can do and my mom did um, with these girls is not have your identity wrapped up in your child in any aspect of life, right? Like if your child is the best player on the team, it doesn't mean you're a more important or a better parent than the child who's the worst parent on the team. Um, you know, if, if your child like loves or enjoys what they're doing, they're going to work hard at it and they're going to be passionate about it. And it's our job as parents to facilitate that and not live our lives through what they're doing. Right. We, we have our own calling. You know, I feel like there's some times when my parents would be at games and I'll be playing and and other parents would be like, hey, you must be so proud of Nick, or you must be so proud of Jake, or whatever it looks like, my older brother. And my dad would always say, you know what? He likes playing baseball. He loves doing it. So I had a good buddy who uh, who's coaching a baseball team, my college roommate in, in Colorado. And he called me the other day. He's like, hey, man, this, there's a parent that's mad at me all the time because his son is hitting like seventh or eighth or ninth all the time. Like he wants him to hit higher in the lineup. And uh, he's like, what do you do? I said, okay, well, this is just, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect dad, but every now and then I have, you know, uh, an answer. Hopefully it works, right? Um, so we'll ask him, does his son like playing? It's like, yeah, his son really likes playing. So having him hit ninth, does that rob you as a parent, rob you of the joy of watching him do something that he's passionate about doing? Like that should never rob you of the joy because you're comparing where he's hitting in the lineup with other kids, is that robbing you of the joy of watching your child do something that he loves to do or she loves to do? Like this should never come into play. So that part, like my oldest daughter doesn't like softball. Like this could be a one and done, like no big deal. Like she loves, she comes alive on stage, like doing plays. Like I see her passion in the batter's box compared to like on stage singing a solo, something like I could never do. Like she comes alive. Like it's my job to foster that passion in her and grow with her and be there for her. You know, like my five-year-old is a, like comes alive on the soccer field. Like she loves it. So let's foster that passion for her. Um, but it's not my life to live. You know, it's their life to live. It's, just, it's our, our job to like foster those passions. Yeah. I, I feel like as I started out as a coach, if a kid was missing a ground ball, I felt like the failure. And, and yeah. that's, that's what caused that, um, that reaction of, of, of whatever might've come out, anger or um, pressure, putting pressure on him to succeed. But that speaks to the identity. Like I'm putting my identity on this kid because he's missing a ground ball. 
But something etched in my brain was my mentor, a guy named Sean Flicky, who played at Stanford uh, and is just a great coach for kids. I see him with the one kid that's like 0 for 4, and you could just tell he's having a bad week, uh, it, possibly something going on at home. And he just sits beside that kid in the bleachers for two hours and talks about life. And I'm like, I'm over here fretting about an eight-year-old missing a ground ball. And meanwhile, uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi over there is, is doing his thing. And it's like, that's the lens I need to be looking through. Like, like is this kid going to be a better brother one day, or a, a better father one day? <laughs> he doesn't need to turn a double play. He's seven years old. But I think a lot of young coaches can relate with me. 20 years later, I, I, I look through uh, a, a different kind of lens, but I started out uh, doing it the wrong way. So Chad, maybe I'll throw it your way. Did, did you ever do it the wrong way and then have a enlightening moment? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, when I was coaching high school before I got back into uh, professional baseball, uh, I was hard on the kids and, uh, and thought that that was the way to go was, you know, you're, you're hard on them because you care about them. And uh, there's something to that, but you need to really communicate the, Hey, I care about you. Uh, way more than than being tough right um so yeah i i totally agree with that and as coaches we're trying to do the best we can but uh we the kids have to know that we care about them and love them and uh, they gotta especially at a young age they gotta have fun they gotta be kind um and 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 that's that's gotta be our focus is like hey let's have some fun and let's be nice to each other and be loving and, and encouraging because the great players are going to be great one way or the other, but are they going to be great humans? Right. And that's really our job as youth coaches is let's foster some great humans that like Nick said, if they have that passion, that's going to fuel them. Our intensity is not going to fuel their passion. It's just going to have them lean one way or the other, and they're going to kind of emulate what they see. So if they see us being really tough and hard and all this jazz, like that's not going to help them in what really matters. So, uh, that say that that's say what that I again. learned. Our intensity, what that's so good. Your I mean, I kind of blacked out there. I yeah, kind of blacked you out did. There. You blacked out, but yeah. you just said something so uh, so marked. Our Twain. intensity is not going to fuel their passion. Uh, our intensity, yeah, it's it's not. It's they're going to have that passion and that drive, with or without us. We have to help help them be better humans and have character and be kind and be loving and. And see those moments where someone needs a hug or an, or a positive, encouraging word. That's the impact that we want to have as coaches. And I think intensity can be negative. It, it can it can be positive. It can be run, 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 run. Get the ball, get the ball, get the ball. But it's still intense. And it's almost like if you're sitting next to your kid who loves video games and you're saying, B, B, push the B, push the A, push the A, right. the left. It's still <laughs> going to paint a bad picture. Even if you're trying to, you're trying to do your best. You're, you're trying to just fuel them and, and you think you're doing it right, but um, yeah, you got to read your players. So uh, awesome. I'll go with a question and uh, coach chop back to you. Okay. Um, you're a catcher your whole life, Nick. Is that, is that about right? Did you do some pitching back in the day too? Yeah, no, I played, I played all, I didn't start catching until my uh, junior high school. So I played infield pitched, all over so um football baseball that's well, all that stuff i want to hear i want to hear that again kids well, well, how many sports did he play how many positions you played them all is that all. right 
Yeah. And you know, that's a great point. I mean, I, I was a <laughs> boy scout. I went, my mom made me take piano lessons. We played football. My brother was a wrestler. We wrestled, ran track, whatever the season it was, that was what we were doing. Um, I started playing a little bit more baseball when I was probably 13, 12 or 13, because I liked it the most. And then as I got older, played two sports in high school and whittled it down a little bit more. I didn't play basketball. I wrestled my freshman year, but then, then, uh, that uh, my brother started dominating me and I was like, nah, I can't, can't do this anymore. Um, and then, yeah, my, my junior year of high school, I started catching, um, I got, you know, got some friends around here that like, Hey, you, you want to do some catching lessons for our seven, eight year old? Like, Here's a lesson. Don't catch, you know, like play other positions, <laughs> you know, like you know, Buster, like, Oh, there's a bunch of guys in the big leagues. The, the best catchers in the world weren't catchers. You know, yeah. they just, I just probably wasn't a good enough shortstop to play with Brandon Crawford. So like go over there and go behind the plate, you know? So that's, uh, that's the, uh, the two cents on, on catching and, and positioning. And this is so specialized now. It's crazy. It's, um, you know, if you can raise your athletic ceiling a little bit more by doing a lot of things, like hearing somebody be a pitcher at eight years old, I'm a pitcher. No, you're not. You're an eight-year-old or I'm a, I'm a, a I'm a 10-year-old softball pitcher. That's who I am. No, you're a seven-year-old daughter or you're a 10-year-old daughter. You're not a pitcher. You're not getting paid. It's not your identity. No. And go play other positions and go play basketball and then go, you know, go take a baking class, find out other stuff. Because if there's one thing you do when you're seven to 15, you know, like what other thing, like what, what other skills do you have? You know, at some point it's going to run out and you're not going to play anymore. And you're going to look back and be like, man, I wish I would have gone to a couple more birthday parties or I wish I would have just gone like swimming a little bit more or, you know, so that part, it's hard to hard to see now where where youth sports is going and how much time commitment and how much pressure is put on you know 11 year olds to go play in this tournament and win and how oh we could be like we could be ranked in the top of the state of california as a 10 year old softball team what does that even mean like what what planet is that uh, an acceptable thing to impart on a 10 year old so that part I don't I don't understand very much. I have some friends that a good little softball player. She's eleven, and they were playing a tournament. Two games on Saturday, two on Sunday. She's starting shortstop. First inning of the first game, first batter, hard hard ground ball to her goes between her legs. Like she gets taken out of the game. Like what in the world are we doing? Like as parent as coaches, that's your response to somebody making an error. Like we live in San Diego, and Fernando Tatis is the best player in the world, probably making $340 million. And I promise you, we can go find a ball, go between his legs. You think he's coming out of the game? No chance. He's the best player in the world. So you're going to treat a 11 year old the same way or different, like, come on, what are we doing? Well done. You're preaching to the choir and um, <laughs> sorry to go off on a tangent. I don't even know what your question I, 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 is. <laughs> no, I, I don't even know what it was either, but that was, I mean, I, I've written blogs on this and I've, I've done the same thing, gone on rants about how, <laughs> Uh, you know, me failing as a piano player when I was eight helped me uh, become a much better basketball player in high school and then a much better baseball player when I was 0 for 25 in college, uh, just battling different things. And you get so burnt out. I mean, that 12 year old who's playing four games and getting took, I mean, there's going to be a mental burnout and a physical burnout pretty quick um, if we don't make things right. And, and this is the point of, of, 
of the Nick Hunleys and, and major leaguers coming on this podcast is there is a huge dichotomy of what's going on in, in youth ball and travel and club sports and what major leaguers and college coaches and, and managers are talking about. It, it's the opposite ends of the spectrum. So we have to just shine a light on this even more. Um, and I'm just going to drop my pen on that and, and send it back to you, Chad Shaw. Sorry, let me, right, I got, sorry, if you got, you got to tell go. me a quick, quick story for you on that one. Yes. Bring so, it. Um, I've gotten into golf a little bit more now that I'm done and it's amazing. So I was fortunate the other day, this was maybe a month ago. I played with a guy named Cameron Sisk and remember his name. Cause he's up and coming. He's at, he's at Arizona state. He just won the, the biggest college amateur tournament in, uh, in the nation. And he's, uh, he's probably the top couple golfers, amateur golfers in the world. And he loves baseball. He's from San Diego. So we went out and played. I was like, Hey, what's he has a, he has a twin brother. Who's uh, playing golf at USC. Um, I was like, Hey, how'd you get into golf? He's like, well, I love playing baseball and you know, we play baseball. We play some golf, we play some other sports. Um, and I wanted to play travel ball with my dad or with my brother. And my dad's like, no, I'm not playing travel ball. So he gets to the point, I think he was 13 years old. He's like, dad, I want to play travel ball. He's like, okay, you want to play travel ball. You shoot under 80, you and your brother, as soon as you can get under 80, you can go play travel ball. It's like, okay. So they went to play some golf, finally started hitting. I mean, they played a little bit more in practice and like, um, this golf thing's kind of cool. Do you want to go play travel ball? They're like, no, I kind of like golf a little bit more. So he started playing golf as a 13 year old. And now he's the best college golfer in the nation. And all because his dad was like challenging him to do something else. You're not going to play year round baseball. You're not going to do it. Sorry. Like, and I love, this is hard because you know, you, you hide behind, Oh, my kid loves to do it. My kid loves playing. Yeah, my kid loves, I make a lot of mistakes as a parent too, but my kid loves cupcakes. They ain't having year-round cupcakes. My kid <laughs> loves pie. No, you're not playing year-round baseball. You're not playing year-round softball. Like, go do something else. So, sorry to, to throw that one in there. Oh, oh boy, that, that's, that, that snippet's going on my uh, social media. Is go listen yeah. to this podcast, folks. Yeah, <laughs> well done. Nick, I got, uh, I got a question for you. Uh, are you good with time, Nick? Because I know we're going a little bit over. I'm great. Yeah, whatever you guys need. Okay, uh, awesome. So who is on your teammate, Mount Rushmore? Man, that's a great question. I had to go look at how many presidents are on Mount Rushmore. How many did I get? Uh, you know, I was, I was hoping you would know the answer to that. <laughs> I think it's five, right? I don't know. <laughs> it up. is 17. Yes. 17. Um, okay. <laughs> well, um, David Eckstein, 100%. One of the best players um, was 5'7", and could barely throw the ball across the diamond. And he was a World Series MVP. Um, played with him in San Diego. Unbelievable dude. Um, saw the game. Taught me how to see the game a completely different way. I learned more from him than uh, the, the best. The abs- I mean, I was so fortunate to be able to play with him, to call him a friend. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he wrote it. Kids, but, like, they call him just enough. Like, he wow. just had enough to, like, get it across the diamond. And that was his nickname, Boston, just enough. In college, yeah. That. When he was younger, like he walked on at University of Arizona, or I mean, University of Florida, like at a tryout in college, like no scholarship, no, uh, no high pedigree for perfect game, no rating systems. Like, no, just had heart and could play the game, right. knew how to play, and was an unbelievable teammate. And he taught me how to like see matchups. Like, hey, Nick, like figure out if this is a good matchup or not. 
and then figure out what to do with it. Um, he was great. Um, Chris Young, pitcher here, 6'10". He's the GM of the Rangers now. Dude was the, this is, that's where I learned a lot of preparation from Chopper. Like he would, mm -hmm. we would go and meet um, before a game, you meet with your starting pitcher every game. And he would have a two page printout of exactly how he wanted to attack every single hitter. Like unbelievable stuff. Um, you got time for Ivy that. League. Yeah. Ivy League. Princeton. All, all, yeah. yeah. Here's another one. All Ivy League baseball <laughs> and basketball. Yes. Like, yep. He and struck me out. Another another Mount Rushmore. Will Venable, he's the bench coach of the of the uh, Red Sox. I yeah. played. He was my first roommate in pro ball. I played more games of baseball with Will Venable than anybody. He's seen mm -hmm. my swing more than anybody except for my dad. <laughs> so um, they're actually coming out here for for Thanksgiving with us. He's a Mount Rushmore guy. Another all Ivy League baseball, all Ivy League basketball. Like couldn't uh, get past those two. Princeton beat us. Uh, they were the team. You know, one team gets to the regionals and Venable and and Young, man. Yeah, well done. Those guys. Um, Trevor Hoffman. I played with him my first two years. Um, what an unbelievable leader and a servant leader. Like wow. he would say, hey, "Come hop in the hop in the cold tub, warm tub. Like let's hang out after a game and just talk baseball." Like 2008, we went to the same college he was always great to me um unbelievable mentor um really really good dude and then one more probably um I, I would say two guys from san francisco buster buster posey and hunter pence two unbelievable guys um i don't think buster gets enough credit for being a lead i'll tell you quick buster sorry my first year there it was 2000, 2017 and it's like february 20th and we're taking our first full team infield outfield. And, um, you know, it's on the field six and you're just flipping around guys, mm -hmm. are, you know, getting loose. And it finally comes time to us. It's just me and Buster back behind the plate. And we're going to throw the bases. Like infield goes through and outfielders. And he looks at me like dead serious and like not arrogant about it, but like, hey, this is how we do it. And he looks at me dead man as he goes, time to set the tone. That's it. I'm like, okay. And take the ball and goes wham wham and puts on the most unbelievable throwing display <laughs> i have ever seen in my life and it's in an infield outfield the first team like rockets down to third second like like knee high on the base i was like oh my gosh i gotta get a little looser uh i don't know if i got that in me right now it was unbelievable just how he set the tone and how he like led by example like this is how we win world series i just like put on these displays and you know, he wasn't saying that arrogantly. He's like, come with me. Everybody follow me. So those two guys in San Francisco. And then Hunter, I know that's your boy, Chopper. Um, another epic leader. One of my favorite uh, Hunter Pence, uh, super positive, always looking for ways to get better. I know, yeah. you know, his, his, there's no failure, only learning. That's um, right. Stuff that he talks about was great. So um, those are probably the six, six best. And you the biggest thing that I heard from, from all those guys is you talked a little bit about their baseball skill, but it was more about their character and, uh, oh. and how they impacted, you know, you and others. And I think for kids, we, everyone tries to get really, really good, but like try to get really good at making others good. Right. And putting others first and being a servant leader. And that is, there's so much more power in that. And you'll still get as good as you can be, but like you'll actually get better than you can be if you're only focused on yourself. Uh, Great Mount Rushmore. That's that's awesome. Coach Ballgame, you got another question for Nick? Well, I'm just writing down servant leader. I think that needs to be the title of this podcast. How how cool Love is that. that? I just got to figure out how to 
uh, spells the word servant, which I'll <laughs> Carefully. skip that skip that day at Brown University. <laughs> um, so I always want to know, like, what really goes on in a mound visit? And, you know, you watch Bull Durham and, and there's the funny stuff. And then there's the, some of the serious stuff. So maybe just a two prong question. What really goes on there for the for the eight year old, 12 year old out there wanting to know? And then maybe maybe a, a, a funniest mound visit you have uh, <laughs> yeah. in the books. Yeah, I got those good questions. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with painting the picture of what's going to happen. Um, you're not going out there for a mound visit when things are going great. You're letting it roll, right? It's either like, hey, some high leverage stuff, like this is a big moment, so the heart rate's a little high, or it's kind of hitting the fan a little bit. Like there's some, there's some bumps in the road. So one, you talk about when chaos is going all around, like everybody kind of looks to the leader to see how they're reacting. And if somebody can react with poise in that scenario, like everybody else will have a little bit of poise. But if like, and this is something I struggle with as a dad sometimes, like when chaos is going around in the house and I'm not poised, like that can take chaos, like continues at a higher rate, right? So um, I try to paint the picture of how we can um, get out of this situation or what we're going to do. And I'll give you a good example of that. And Buck Showalter in Baltimore did this unbelievably. So we're, I get traded to Baltimore in 2014. We have a really good team and we're, uh, we win the division. We go, we play Detroit in the first round and like, you're not beating Detroit. They have Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, and David Price. The first time in the history of baseball where three consecutive Cy Young award winners are on the same team. So we beat Verlander the first game, beat Scherzer the second game at home. We go to Detroit for two, it's game three. And uh, we're up two to nothing in the ninth and Zach Britton's pitching. And he hadn't give him, given up a run since probably June, right? So they go double, double. All of a sudden it's two to one. And this crowd in Detroit is dead silent. They're down 0-2 in the series and they're down two nothing. And all of a sudden it's raucous, right? Guy on second, nobody out. They get him to third. Nick Castellanos is coming up. We're down by one, two, one. Buck Showalter. Trots out to the mound, comes out to the mound. And he goes, hey, we're going to walk him. They're going to pinch hit this guy next. He's going to roll over sinker. We're going to turn a double play, and we're going to go in and celebrate. Paint the picture. Walk Castellanos, 1-0 sinker, ground ball to third, 5-4-3, double play, celebrate, let's roll. Win the, win the series. So after the game, I'm sitting there talking to the media, and they're like, hey, do you find it odd that – Buck Showalter put the winning run on base right there. Like, what'd you think about that scenario? I was like, I didn't tell him this, but I didn't even know that it was the winning run. Like, I didn't know that Nick Castellanos was the winning. I, I knew that, but I didn't even pay attention to that because the picture was painted so clearly to me of what was going to happen that I don't care about that. Like, I was led, this leader right here came and like showed us the direction and and we won the series. So painting the clear picture, say you got bases loaded and there's one out and your guy out there on the mound is can't throw strikes and you go out there paint a picture for them how that like this scenario can end so say one thing i would say like hey what's important right now like the fact that you just walk two guys is not important okay what's important right now is you executing one pitch because you are literally one pitch away from getting a ground ball and getting a double play and us going in and regrouping 
And if you can keep us right here, if we can hold this lead right here, or, or you can keep this, you know, give up one, like if that guy on third base scores, no big deal, whatever. If you, we can give up one in this scenario, like we're going to win. So paint a picture of what success looks like for that pitcher in that moment, because they're probably, their heart rate is probably a little high, you know, and there's probably a little, uh, a little angst, a little chaos going on. So if you can calm that and paint a picture for them, it's great. Um, the funniest mound visit ever <laughs> happened in Vegas. So I was rehabbing one year in Las Vegas, the AAA. Um, our AAA team was, I think, was in Tucson, but we were playing at Vegas. And I was catching the first inning in Vegas, the ball like flies. And it's the middle of summer, it's 120 degrees. And I think the Dodgers were the affiliate and they got some, some mashers. And our starter goes out there and goes like double homer, triple, double homer. Like legitimate five extra base hits in a row before getting an out. And we're down five, nothing. I'm like, Oof. oh my gosh, this is a lot. I'm supposed to catch like five innings. I might be catching two. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but like reel us in. So our pitching coach comes out, jogs out to Mount. I get there before him. I'm like, you, you know, you're all right. Yeah. And the pitching coach comes out and goes, hey. I think you should throw it lower and turns around and runs back to the dugout. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like that was that. And the pitcher just kind of looked at me. I was like, I don't know what to say. I was like, okay, just turn around and run back. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, oh that's that great. was the best mound visit I've ever been a part of. The funniest one. Like, yeah, hey, throw it lower. Awesome. Here we go. Thanks. Yeah, so good. Thanks for that one. So good. Oh, that's that good. Unbelievable. That's hey, uh, uh, man, you've been awesome. What a great first get setting a high bar as far as our, uh, our guests go, Nick, uh, you got it. You got a last question chopper. I do. I got, uh, I got, I'm going to, I'm going to touch on, uh, what I did and what I'm going to do again as a high school coach. Uh, I would go out there when, uh, you know, cause the stuff's hitting the fan and I would, uh, go out there with an Altoid, uh, box and I'd come out there and, uh, and just say, Hey, uh, Jimmy, uh, Grab you an Altoid. Let's, uh, let's, let's get a fresh start going here. And, uh, <laughs> so the Altoid box, I, I'm definitely going to have the Altoid box <clears throat> in my back pocket. It's great. Make them laugh and that can reset their heart rate and realize, hey, whatever's going on. And then you paint the picture, Nick, like you said. Um, for coaches out there, start telling your kids about kind of the art of not giving up crooked numbers, right? And it's like, hey, if we give up a run, that's fine. And the team that gives up the least amount of crooked numbers wins. And all of a sudden, you kind of have that, that, that pressure valve gets relieved a little bit when they know like, hey, you give up a run, that's fine. Let's get out and, uh, and let's avoid crooked numbers. I learned that at a young age. Uh, but oh, my last and just to hop on that, sorry, yeah. sorry, Chopper. Oh, just to hop on that, uh, just thinking of the Showalter visit and things, you know, young coaches can, can, um, can learn from that. You just know Showalter was probably not anxious in that moment. He was probably pretty just straight faced and like, Hey, this is what's going to happen. Bada bing, bada boom. So like, instead of, instead of picturing the, the negative and, and, and coaching the, oh, let's make sure we don't do this. Let's uh, you know, and, 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 and throwing your anxiety their way. He just poker faced. Uh, this is the good <laughs> things that's going to happen. Bye-bye. You know? And Love I think that's, that. that's just, that's coaching one oh one. Yeah, talking about poise, you know, like in that scenario, the poise that you have or a poise as a parent when your kid has a breakaway on, on the soccer field and you're not like, ah, let out. like, no, like, it's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay. Or your child's up to bat, you know, and there's two strikes and you're like, hey, 
swing at strikes. Let's go. Like, <laughs> whoa. Like, if you are, as a parent, are freaking out in that scenario, like, what do you think your kid's going to do? You know? Yeah. yeah. I think, I think whenever there should be a book, like, if you're tempted to do this, then do this. And if you're, and if it's you're tempted to scream from the bleachers, go give the not, number nine batter a, a piece of bubble gum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. just total ends of the spectrum. So, yeah, man, good stuff. My last question for you, Nick, and uh, we touched on it a tiny bit, but I want to touch on it a little bit more with your father. Um, legendary football coach, tremendous man, uh, tremendous human. Uh, what is the best advice that your dad ever gave to you? And then this will be our last question, and we can't thank you enough, man, for being, being a part of this. Yeah, um, the best advice my dad ever gave me was treat people with dignity and respect, um, no matter what. And no matter who they are, what they do um, or how they do it. Um, and I'm very thankful that he imparted that on us. Um, and then he's, what he said a lot too. And then this goes back to what you were saying about being present. My dad was gone a lot. He's a football coach recruiting, playing games. Like, but when he was home, like he was with us. Like, I don't remember him being gone that much. And this is what I talked to. Actually, I talked to Buster about this a lot. Um, like we're gone a lot as baseball players. Um, but the two hours that you are home a day, like if you're present and you're there, like that's more impactful than somebody being home for six hours and being on their phone or like not being present with their kids or if their kids want to play, like, nah, I want to watch this game or nah, I got something else to do. You know, it was yeah. never like that. that was my dad. I was like, Hey dad, throw the football to me. He's like, all right, let's go. Or, Hey, let's throw like my dad still threw batting practice to me when I was playing in the off season, like when I was 36 years old. So like That's being awesome. present and being in that moment with them um, and being there, no matter how long you are at home, like you could be gone for, uh, you know, you could be gone all day and be home and be present with your kid at, you know, tucking them in. And that'll be more impactful than being home for an hour uh, and not being there for him. So he was present and uh, he said, treat people with dignity and respect. I love that. Uh, do you want to touch on what you're doing now? I know you got uh, a new role you're doing uh, and uh, maybe we can have our listeners uh, help you with that. Uh, I know yeah, you're doing um, a lot so of impactful. I, uh, yeah, I transitioned out of baseball, um, mm -hmm. worked for an organization called International Justice Mission, and we exist to protect people in poverty from violence all over the world. There's a, a huge, there's an estimated 2 billion people in the world that if something goes wrong and they pick up the phone and call 911, nobody's coming. And we have, uh, obviously there's problems in America, um, but if I call 911, someone's coming. Um, so we exist to, to help people. And, and that goes from you know trafficking to violence against women and children to, to land theft to a bunch of stuff. So I work for uh, Team Freedom. It's our pro athlete uh, arm of the organization. And if you wanna check it out, it's just, ijm.org and we'll get a link up to uh once we uh send this out and the, and folks can can help out amazing yeah, Nick. some team freedom hats too let's you go know, for, for you guys so. hey, hey and, the best and, uh we can't thank you enough coach ballgame i'll let you just say say a few words too nick but we we love you and uh just thank you so much uh you're the best dude anytime great to talk to you guys oh great talking to you and your dad must be proud you're not just talking about what he taught you you're doing it so well done man I black salute to you. I, I black um, salute. Hey, I, I can't wait to play some golf. Chopper, let's set that up. Yeah, say San Diego. Let's do it. Let's do it, Nick. Hey, now. Come on down. 
but it was always open for you guys. Awesome. <laughs> Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Nick. Thanks. The best. See you fellas. See ya. Bye-bye. How wow, great how that, was huh? that? There you I go. Mean, that's, that's, you know, when we talk about character and uh, you said it, like, that's a man who's not talking about it. He's being about it. And he treats everyone with dignity and respect. So as parents, that's what matters, man. And Nick got really great at baseball, but he's an even better human. And that's our goal is let's make some great humans. And, uh, and that's what we focus on is what they're going to focus on. So if we're focused on the ground ball, not going through the legs, blah, 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 they're going to focus on that instead of being a good human and caring about the person next to you. Servant leader. That's my vote for the, uh, uh, the the title this for this episode. a boy. Yeah. Well, hey, we'll be here every week with new guests and and talking about being a better coach and a better parent and being more kind and looking through the yeah. right lens. So, um, uh, anything anything to add before we close up shop, Coach? Thank you, Coach Ballgame, and uh, and this is great, man. Let's uh, let's just keep spreading love and joy and gratitude and, uh, and let's try to, like we say, you can't change the world, but you can change someone's world. So those of you listening today, try to go change someone's world. Tell them you like their shirt or buy them a green tea. Don't buy them a coffee, but get them a green tea with some chai. <laughs> Have a great day. Chai. Add a boy. <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye.